0: Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to have on Adam Ward, who is a coach and consultant and author, best-selling author with over 25 years of experience in product development and efficiency. He works with the biggest companies around the world, Honda, uh, the the, mil- the U.S. military, um, GE, large healthcare companies, and helps them learn efficiency and how to simplify their lives and create more innovative products. So that's one component of what he does that's really fascinating. Um, he's also an ultra marathoner and himself, you know, a, a father with with three children, and and the idea of how do you get all of this stuff done and still, you know, still you know go around in the world is is really fascinating. But we we take it takes an interesting turn in we start to discuss how religion can innovate and how people can utilize and why people should utilize religion in order to find more meaning and get a creative edge and the benefits of a religious involvement is to individuals. So this is an area that's absolutely fascinating for me. Obviously, I'm very interested in it because I myself am someone who is consistently advocating for spiritual development when it comes to uh, a per, your personal life, your business life, your relationship life, et cetera. But it's interesting here how how an engineer and an efficiency expert looks at and recognizes that this is a very fundamental problem, um both for on a personal level, for those people that have not developed their their spiritual centers and also the institution of religion as a whole. Um, some major statistics that come out is the fact that sixty six percent of the of the of the population develops their whole spirituality before their before they're uh, sixteen years old, I believe. So that's interesting. So it's like, you know, Most people go through their whole adult life. One third, only one third of the population seriously consider religion as they get older. So the reason why I think this is so important is that... If we want to live meaningful lives, we have to really radically reconsider how we look at spirituality, how we look at the role of religion, and and what role it has in our own life. And I, I, I speak with Adam from his engineer, from his scientific, from his business perspective, why that's also important. Um, you know, I just wanted to say for the podcast, um, I appreciate everyone listening tremendously. Um we don't do a lot of advertisements on here. So, you know, I this is really just to provide value for you and I would love your feedback if this is Valuable. If you're learning more information for this, please reach out on all of the different social platforms that we're on—Facebook and and YouTube and y- you name it—you know, LinkedIn and uh, and um, Instagram, all of the above. And, and just t- tell us what what do you th- what do you think about this episode? Again, we're going to go a little bit of a different route um, besides the traditional self-development, business development, leadership, and we're going to get into religion to a certain extent and how that helps. So, I'd be very curious your feedback, and I appreciate it. With no further ado, Adam. Okay. Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. One of the amazing parts that's popped out of your bio besides the incredible companies that you worked with is how you're always focusing on how big companies can accomplish their goals by trying to simplify what they're doing. So maybe if you can give me a little bit of background in terms of this theme in your life, how you got really good at helping people simplify and why it's important to simplify.
1: Well, I watched a video recently with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and the title of the video was busy is the new stupid and I found it quite it resonated well with what I've seen in practice and people have a tendency now to just be getting to their hands in too many things and, and large corporations, especially they've got chat software that goes on their, you know, computers, they've got the email that's sending them 100 plus emails a day. Uh, they've got an initiatives list or project list that's nearly infinite. And um, it, it really helps to, to simplify, simplify everything down at work and at home. And focus and getting uh, the target few that you need, things that you need to work on really helps.
0: Do you feel that people lose a competitive advantage if they're sort of working in mid-level management or, you know, kind of on the product line where they need to be so connected to everyone all the time? Or is all of this stuff kind of clutter that we have to sort of cut out of our life?
1: Yeah, I think the connected all the time is a myth. Um, if we have a boss or if we have an employee that requires being connected non-stop, then we're, we're, we're either not managing well, down well or we're not managing up well. And we should have periods of the day where we can go through without having to look at our phone, without having to look at our computer, and we can get a lot of stuff done. So, yes... With the digital natives that are born and entering the workforce, you know, their phone is glued to their hand. Um, you can go on a metro or an airplane before it takes off and, you know, everyone's looking at their phone and a lot of stuff, you know, work you can't get done on your phone. And, and we need to learn to put that thing down and we need to learn to, to close email programs and, and focus on what, what the deliverables are for that hour or for that day.
0: Do companies, are companies supposed to set this as a, as a culture? Like for example, like when you're looking to, to work with a company, are you seeing that you're trying to change the focus of the company? Do you have to speak from a top down level? Is this a general problem that just modern people have where we're just like too networked and too connected? Or is there some kind of like a specific change that can be made in terms of creating a, a culture of simplicity?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing is FOMO, right? It's the fear of missing out. It's what opportunity are, are, are we going to miss if we're not paying attention? And whether that's a comment that's on a Facebook page um, or whether that's uh, an email where the boss boss is asking for something, um, we're, we're really checking that to, to make sure that we're missing out. So I I see it at every level. You know, the CEO, if they're a micromanager, um, or if they're somebody that, that really likes to control things, um, you know, they put a disproportionate amount of time in each of their days because they don't trust their, uh, employees to, to deliver. And the same goes with people at the bottom, you know, they're, they're so worried that their manager's not going to think that they're a good performer if they're not instantaneously responsive, um. That they that they monitor that as well. So I, I think it's it's very tricky, and the pace of society seems to reward those who um, are are busy, but it's actually the opposite. I find those who dedicate and take it take time aside to think, put big blocks in their calendar that are empty, um, actually get more done. Okay,
0: so now now I have to ask. I think was the awkward question, which is that you you're an ultra marathoner. You have three children you're an author, you have a company that's working. With <laughs> so how do you do that? When you're starting your day or starting your week, wh- what are some of the, the hacks or strategies that you use to make sure that you show up? You know, clearly physical health is very important for you. Clearly you're a family man. You have to have time to write. You have to have time to work. So how do you do all of this stuff?
1: Yeah, you know, actually Tom, the, Yeah no I mean we all get 24 hours a day right that's the currency that's equal for everyone and you know so I've had a lot of questions recently uh, to me about daily productivity and and what I tell everyone is you've got to find the time of day where you're most work productive and maybe that's seven to noon you know maybe that's noon to 6 p.m. whatever time that is and it's not usually going to be eight hours Um, and if, if, if you have eight hours of work, then you're probably putting some meetings in there. Um, but to, to crank through a mental energy on eight hours uh, for a professional job is really tough. So I try to say find a five or six hour block where you're very, very effective. Um, and then get, you can, if, you've, if you're focused, you should be able to get all that needs to get done in that time. And then you'll have time for your calls, for your meetings or whatever. On top of that, I wrote my um, bestseller by dictating to the, to the phone while I was driving. So, you know, I didn't sit down, I didn't type it, I used the speech to text function and, and smartphone and, and actually wrote that whole draft uh, using that. So, I, I double up on things that, that I can and, you know, in the winter I work out in my basement. Um, so, I've got my computer there if I need to do stuff. Um, in the summer, it's a little more difficult because I'm outside, but I try to make double use of, of workout time. And then, um, with, as far as the family... Yeah, I use the hack the five love languages um, by Gary Chapman. Yeah, and uh, so you know if it's quality times one of them, then I, when I'm with them, I make sure it's quality. If it's gifts or taxes, service, whatever it is, each of my kids, my wife, I try to focus on that, and it and it pays uh, a good multiple when you're when you're focused on that.
0: It's fascinating. Are you still actively working on developing yourself? Because one thing that came out of the, the interview that we conducted over Authority Magazine and in Thrive Global was that you were quoting quite a few John Maxwell and all kinds of other books about, you know, living a, living a productive life, managing workflow and everything like that. So how, how do you look at your own ongoing development and what are some of the major sources that you utilize in order to become, you know, as, as cutting edge as you can be?
1: Wow. That's, <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, you know, I, I'm curious by nature. So anytime I see something that I want to learn, I pick it up and I study it. And depending, um, I, I'd say probably about half of my development is work-related or problem-related, meaning there's something I need to solve and I'm tr- trying to find a solution for it. And one of the things that I do is I go outside of the industry I think when we're inside of an industry and we're looking at what they're doing, we're, we're copying what everyone does. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in healthcare, I want to go to manufacturing. If I'm manufacturing, I want to look at automobile. I want to look at fashion. So I have a bunch of different magazines that I read. Um, I listen to probably 20 podcasts a week, a um, variety of different topics. And then if I see a book, I mean the leadership stuff is, is good. So if someone does a new, you know, fresh twist on on a topic, I'll pick it up and I'll read it. Um, my preferred way is audible. Um, so I can go through a lot of audible books, uh, you know, during the summer when I'm, you know, riding my bike for three hours or four hours.
0: One one thing that I, that I notice a lot with your career trajectory is that you've been successful in quite a few different areas. If it's, you know, the R&D with Honda, to healthcare, to the, you know, advising the Air Force, to being an author, to the ultra marathon. Are there like basic themes now that you've seen such a broad, variety of different organizations and institutions that carry through where you don't necessarily have a fear of embarking on a new um, endeavor because of you sort of know that these are how things are going to work? Or is, is there like a fear each time you try something new and there's that learning curve and, you know, you just have to get used to it?
1: Yeah, and you're right. I have been working in several industries and in my current role is consulting. I've probably been in 10 plus different industries and the higher up I go, and the more strategic it gets the conversation, the more similar it is. And when I went to my publisher for my book, I went, looked at her bookshelf and it was at a trade show and I said, what do you wish you had on there? She goes, well, we don't have anything on this topic. And which really surprised me because I thought, you know, anyone can write about development and, and healthcare. And, um, but the healthcare people, they wanted it written in healthcare language. Mm. So the thing that I find most is in an industry, I have to learn it enough where I don't look silly in the C-suite mm. and I, 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 use, I have a tendency to ask a ton of questions um, when I'm meeting with clients and then I regurgitate that information back to them. And then again, back to the curiosity. And it doesn't matter if, like, if I take up fishing as a hobby, I want to know everything about how to catch a fish, or if I'm seeing birds in my backyard, I want to see what species are, you know, around. So, I, I, for me, I like to learn, and I think that if you're working across multiple industries, you know, however much you like to learn is going to be is going to contribute to your success. But then also, the higher you go, the more similar it is. I mean, there's there's really not much of a difference at the CEO level.
0: Well, that that's very interesting. So you. Just to, to reiterate what it sounds like, I, what I'm hearing you say is that the, the specifics to sound like you know what you're talking about in every industry, that you have to acquire with each new thing that you go into. But the people that are struggling in the Air Force, are, in, in terms of the leadership, are going to have the same stuff that, that you were dealing with when you were working with GE or Honda or any of those other big companies. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I've I've worked with the military several times, the Navy um, and the Air Force, and you know wh- whether it's putting bombs on a fighter jet in the middle of Nevada or whether it's designing a new medical clinic in uh, rural North Carolina, um, you know they're still worried about budget, they're still worried about getting it on time, they're still worried about serving their customers while while demand hits, um, you know they have different words for everything, um, you know they they want to be. Um, battle ready or they want to be war ready um, in the military where you know and and if we look at um, the commercial side it's like hey we want to make sure that we have all of our stuff available for purchase wall street's expectations and all of that stuff so it's it's just where the focus is and what's driving it but yeah cost and timing is you know is, is a big deal with it with everyone
0: uh-huh. One of the things that really stuck out and was kind of threw me for a loop at the end of at the end of our interview um, in the magazine was your desire to change how religion and Christianity was yeah. was. Was used across the the, uh, the the scale, and I'm a rabbi, and I happen to think that also that the incredible power and transformative uh, influence that religion has. At the same time, if you look at the world, and you look at you know there's there's a lot of breakdown. So maybe develop if you could for me a little bit about how your own spiritual and religious practices have been shaped by business and how you could change things if you could, and, and your 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 general thoughts about that.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, the the religion. Um, you know, if I talk with leaders in the in the in the religious sector, or churches, or they they have the same. Hey, but typically there's a higher being. So you know, if the religions that believe in a god, they they have both the access to him, um, and they have the responsibility to him. And so that can be that's a supernatural hack for those of us who do have a faith in a higher power that others don't have. And uh, so you know, when I when I when I look at the institutions that are out there and I see them using the same techniques that are years, you know, hundreds of years old. And this is separate from the fact that the scripture doesn't change, right? We, right. we believe in the, the scripture never changes, but the, the techniques to get people to learn that scripture have to change. And uh, I've got a church behind me, probably 200 yards just outside of our neighborhood and the bells go off twice a day. And when I drive by it on Sunday morning, there's probably 25 cars in the parking lot. And I know that, that at some point, that was the center of this community 150 years ago, but it, it hasn't. And, and there's no reason for it not to be because of all of the benefits you get from having a relationship, you know, with, with the higher power and, um, you know, kind of giving your life over to that.
0: Do you feel like religion is becoming more irrelevant more relevant like how do you feel like the path is going and what are some of the things that those people that are practitioners of the religion or people that are trying to to make it relevant what are some of the things that they can use and like is that borrowed from you know a a consumer culture is it borrowed from the kind of corporations and their strategies how do you see that that going
1: yeah that's that's a great question um and if we look at research done by Barnet, I'll just focus on the United States here for a second. If we look at research done by um, Barnet Group, you know, they have seen a steady decline in the participation in organized religion um, in the U.S., um, certainly over the past several decades. Um, fewer people want to be associated with faith. Fewer people actually believe the core principles that are associated with those faiths. Um, and... So when we look at, you know, scientifically done research, not uh, a couple samples pulled here or there from the media, it is a trend that is, is a bit scary. Um, scary, so scary, people, scary. Know,
0: why, why is it scary that, that, that religion and, and, you know, organized faith, so to speak, is, is sort of disappearing from the American scene? Why does that bother you?
1: Well, I mean, I, I, besides the fact that, you know, the the whole afterlife and where people end up. I think, you know, a a lot of, you know, if we even look at fundamental Judaism and and the behaviors that are expected out of us and what things are considered good and what things are considered um, acceptable, most countries have that. I mean, most companies have that in their ethics policies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the further away we get from religion, we start to see, we'll start to see those go away. And my guess is we'll probably see um, bigger businesses getting in trouble for things. Um, we'll see business leaders get, getting held accountable because there's media uh, everywhere in everyone's pocket. There's a video camera. And, you know, eventually people will get, you know, it'll catch up to them what they're doing in the back rooms. And so, I think the further away we get from religion, the less business can perform and the more dishonest um, businesses will get. Uh, just just drifting, not intentionally doing it. Um, and then you know, also I mean, personally, you know, I, I get a I'll call it a supercharge out of my involvement um, in a religious context that have me on a, you know daily basis.
0: So, so that so that's very interesting. So, Dorita, what I what I think I'm hearing you say is that. And, and and it's funny because there was a, a whole firestorm that came out very recently about about uh, the president speaking about bringing bible study back into public school and this was actually a point that I made was was very much in line with what you had just said which is it's like look you know we're trying to raise the next generation and religious values even if you you know, so to speak, divorce them from the Bible itself about, you know, equality before before God and, you know, principles of charity and principles of justice and principles of, of all of these things. This is good for society. And by kind of cutting out that component of it, you're on a slippery slope as a society. So, that, that's point number one. You're saying also from a performance standard, you feel that your religious connection makes you more successful at the things that you are doing. Is that fair to say?
1: And I, I would say probably what I find the difference and a lot of the conversations that I have with colleagues is I have a, you know, is I'll have a piece around work. Um, that's not an, you know, not an explainable one. And instead of getting worked up on stuff or, you know, instead of, you know, fearing things, I, I, I don't know, I just get a piece. And I think that's, you know, that's unfair <laughs> over, you know, some of my, you know, colleagues, but you know, that that's because of, of my involvement. And everyone can have that. It's, you know, it's uh, available to people. But I think that's one of the easy things that I see on a day-to-day basis. Why, why do you have a certain level of peace going around your experience? I always say is, why are you smiling so much? And I'm like, okay. I don't know why I smile so much. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm happy. I enjoy my life and, um, you know, and I'd like to attribute it to, to the, my religious involvement. So you're saying
0: because because of 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 your connection to God and seeing that you're, I guess you could say a, a, a piece of Him and that there is ultimate justice in the world and all of these these basic principles that we need for happiness, you're saying that it is actually helping you, and when you compare it to other people that don't have this level of connection, then you feel like in a way' they're, mis- they're missing out from the, the happiness that people could have.
1: right. That's exactly right.
0: How does a person who is built like you, someone that's an engineer, you know, start to buy into things that we can't see or, you know, ancient principles that were written many, many years ago that haven't changed? Like mm-hmm. you're at the corner, you know, of, of, of innovation and here you're mm-hmm. getting your peace of mind from stuff that's thousands of years old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, that that's one of the things that, you know, just in within the past few years, I reconcile. And although I've been, you know, religious most of my life, I went and I, I, I studied deep um, for about a year and all, all, you know, and I ignored all the stuff I learned as a kid, um, threw it all away, said, I'm going to start from scratch and, and I'm going to go look at the science side and I'm going to go look at the the religious side. And, you know, I, I started to reconcile the two. And, you know, it, with the sense of faith it's easy for us to reject um some of that stuff as there isn't you know enough scientific evidence but then how do you explain the feelings you get the opportunities you get you know how do you you know explain the the peace you have or the joy you have or Um, the resolutions that seemed impossible. And there is no science behind that. And, you know, whether it's a butterfly flapping its wings in the Amazon, you know, that affected it here, it's it's just, I don't know. I found it silly to believe on coincidence, even though I have a scientific approach. And I just couldn't, I couldn't dismiss all of the personal things that had happened in my life that there wasn't a scientific
0: explanation for. It's, it's a very interesting point. And I, I think also crucial is this idea. And I'm, I'm not sure if there was a time in your life, it was like your kids were a certain age, you'd reach, reach a certain point in your career. But what you said, I think is so crucial, because a lot of people get the basic, whatever you want to call it, indoctrination that they have as children. Mm-hmm. And as their mind matures and they learn more, again, you go to college. You learn philosophy. You learn science. You learn engineering, math, whatever it might be. So you can develop a certain level of sophistication in other things, just because you know about it. But the religious connection, it still stays a fifth, five-year-old, uh, a five-year-old's understanding of it. So, mm-hmm. would you advise a person? Is there a certain time of life when it is most advantageous to really kind of go back to the drawing board and say, okay, so like, what do I really believe in here? Or or is it just like whenever you can, whenever you realize this, like start figuring out what you actually believe.
1: Sixty-six percent of the people 66. that come to faith do it before age fourteen. That's fascinating. Um so after four yeah, so after fourteen, there's only a third um, a third of the group that come to some type of faith. And so is that just Christian, is, is
0: that America? What 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 is that what is that? Where was that? That's
1: America. That's America. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. So you're saying yeah. you're saying two thirds of the people are are so again after after 15 you're saying that that most people are more or less lost to religion if they haven't made that commitment early on is that is that what you're saying right
1: right so so it's it's tough for an adult you know but then it's also tough for a child to go back and say what is truth and very few people will go back to the original literature and or or you know yeah let alone the original hebrew or greek whatever language you're you know it was your scripture was written in and, and find out what it really meant and not, uh, you know, a translated English um, version. So, you know, to do that requires a, a deep study and and, and uh, so I think it's, you know, it's, I think it's good for any adult that starts to question it to dig into it because there's so much out there that's that's supportive of what it was as a child but different.
0: It's it's fantastic. I I I love asking these questions from you because again I say very similar things, but I feel like people think there's a lot more of a uh, of a uh, emotional baggage on my part. Now I'm I'm <laughs> curious then if the case is, it's like the data says that the best way to get people to buy in is to focus on the youth, and once a person's already grown up, they have to take personal responsibility. At least that's that's certainly the, the path that I took in my life. That sounds like the path that you took in your life. What can you know, big institutions do, or maybe that big institutions are over as a, as a, as a, as an, you know, as a, as a movement in America. I mean, what can the big institutions do in order to present religion as being relevant and, and, and life enhancing and not sitting empty on a, on a Saturday or Sunday, whatever it might be, you know, and everyone else is playing golf or whatever it might be.
1: Ah, yeah, I mean that, that's a million dollar question, right? Um, Probably more so than I, that, I, I think. Yeah, <laughs> is big yeah well, there's 7 billion people in the earth so whatever each person's life is worth, that's a lot of money. Um, I think the big thing with, with institutions is understand that there are segments. And we can't take a one-size-fits-all approach, just like if we if we go to a restaurant and for breakfast, we're going to choose one type of restaurant or the other. And, I, and I'm not saying pick one religion or the other. I'm saying even if you focus on one specific religion, there's going to be different varieties of it. And, you know, generational or whether you go, you know, um, personality type, some people are going to be more attracted to even paying attention. Um, someone may be very comfortable in a, a building that's got stone walls with stained glass windows. Other people maybe want a converted warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think beyond that, once we get past the you know, the, the, the superficial piece of it, um, I, I think a lot of places gotten away from the core doctrine and the fact that there is a, uh, you know, an a all-powerful being that actually wants to have a relationship with us and wants our lives to be good. And uh, there's there's so many things that have been out there on controlling people or manipulating people or you know the thou shalt not and it, it really is uh, to, to me empowerment um, and and I think there's there 's a lot of abuse that has happened with uh, religion in the past, and there 's a very fine line: um, we should preach from or speak from or share from or um, you know, really be about what it'll enable us to do as opposed to what it's keeping us from doing.
0: And are you finding, are you finding that, and I'm not sure if you do a lot of work with, with clergy or with with different institutions, but are you finding that the people coming out of the education systems are not equipped with this kind of information? Because again, for me, you know, when I'll speak to younger rabbis or other people that are in similar businesses, I feel like I have to give them a basic understanding of, you know, marketing and and sales. And again, it's it's in a way it sounds very bad to be selling and marketing a religion. But on the other hand, it's like what you just said—that's the fundamentals of 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 sales. Like, what what are you offering this person? Why is a person going to want to buy into what you're what you have? Marketing is well, what do they like? You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. like don't don't give them something they don't like. Figure out what they're looking for. Again, it doesn't mean to change. And manipulate and to water down, which I think is absolutely crucial. Right. But there should be enough, I'm gonna say there is enough within a religion to appeal to someone based on what their genuine interests are. And I think that's important.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, if we look at if we look at any any person coming out of high school or any person coming out of college, we we consider them entry level. And most of the jobs that we have out in the world, they enter the training force at that point and we don't actually consider them good until 5 7 years into into their job. And so I think a lot of the ones that are coming out especially ones that aren't going deeper, aren't getting a masters in their in their field or a phd in their field, they they have a gap on the on the doctrine side or a gap on the on the leadership side. Hmm. And you know, some of them aren't under a, uh, a leaders that can actually teach them those principles, they're running a weekend service and that's what they're expected to do or a prayer group. And they really need a holistic approach to how to deliver religion to the community that they're in. And um, so, I see a few good examples of it. You know, if I look at Columbus, you know, the city I live in and we've got, I don't know, about 1,100 um, uh, uh, religious institutions in the, our seven county area, there's probably fifty. That do things well, and uh, so that I mean that's a small percentage um, compared to, yeah. to the overall number.
0: Uh huh. So so it need, it, need, it needs a lot of work, I guess is is the yeah. idea. Um, yeah. Amazing, Adam. Please tell us a little bit more. I really appreciate the time. Please tell us a little bit more about how we can follow you and hear about the cool stuff that you're doing. Get your books, your newest projects, etc.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm probably the most active on LinkedIn. Um, if you just type in Adam Ward Innovation, yeah, you can find me or on Twitter, uh, ADZ underscore M-I-K-L. That's ads, Michael, ADZ underscore um, I do have my website, adammward.com. And uh, so, one of those three things, it's easy to, to get a hold of me and I'm always um, publishing and, um, you know, stuff out there and letting know where I'm speaking or what, you know, what's going on next.